Hey everybody, Yavitz Djurjevic here. Welcome to another episode of Millennial Manhood. Today's episode, we had a lot of fun recording. Uh, it's with Michelle Hughes. She is the host of the Ageless and Timeless podcast, and she also has the uh, website, Ageless and Timeless. Um, only thing with this episode, we had to record it in a little bit of an, of an unorthodox way. We actually had to do it via the phone because she was out in California, wildfires, technology, etc. So we had to do it that way. So the quality isn't the best from a recording standpoint, but overall, it's a fantastic episode. We talk a lot about health, um, you know, how to take care of your body, how to take care of, you know, just the, the different things you put into your body uh, and, and how to function in a society that, well, somewhat ignores that. So for everyone listening, I think you'll really enjoy it. It was a, it was a fun conversation. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sad we were limited on time because when I talked to her on the phone, I mean, we could have gone down a million different rabbit holes because Michelle's had one of the most interesting lives I've ever heard. It's super, super fascinating. But um, as always, give us a five star on iTunes, share it with friends, and here's the new episode. Okay, so we're already recording, but we'll start the actual episode with the intro okay. and everything here. Okay, you Perfect. go ahead. All right. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, I'm excited about the conversation because so for everybody, I've got Michelle Hughes with me. She is the host of uh, Ageless and Timeless. Actually, Michelle, just go ahead and give give the folks an intro. Who are you? The ten thousand foot view. What's your background? Let's let's run with it. Okay, I'll be really um, as cryptic and brief as I I can because you know I've had a very exciting and adventurous life um lots of different uh chapters but i am a boston girl i grew up in in new england and i i moved to california when i was very young in my 20s and i've been there ever since and i actually bought my first home when i was uh in my late 20s and um that's the same home i live in today many years later and so i feel very proud that i've had that kind of stability Although as I uh, became a real estate developer uh, about mm, 25 years ago, and of course I've had many, many homes as a result of my uh, being a luxury residential real estate developer. And mostly I've been in resort locations like uh, Hawaii, uh, some in California, um, Las Vegas, uh, Aspen, Colorado, uh, Baja, Mexico, uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very very um, proud of the creation of beautiful homes, and of course the ability to sell those homes to people who are fulfilling their dreams. Uh, why did I start Ageless and Timeless? Well, uh, very young and really in my 20s, I began to practice a lot of the disciplines of healthy living. And the, the reason I did that was I had a catharsis that um, I never expected in my life that when I was in my late 20s, that I was told that I was going to die. And because oh, I wow. had, they thought, the doctor thought um, I had some incurable thing. And, and anyway, it turned out that he was completely wrong. I was completely okay. I had some, uh, like a reaction to something. But, you know, that was many, many tests later, including bone marrow. And I mean, to go through that when you're in your 20s, and you've never been sick a day in your life was quite the experience. But anyway, it led me, uh, you know, they say everything happens for the right reason. And, you know, it led me to understanding that, nutrition and healthy uh, exercise and or fitness were very important to an overall healthy person. And, and so I went to Body, Mind and Spirit. I began reading a lot of books on uh, health and also on leadership because I was just beginning my career in business. And uh, so all of this, you know, I look at it today, 20, you know, 25 years after that happened, and I look at it and I think, wow, you really were lucky that that little alarm, you know, it was a big alarm at the time, but it was, and it was, you know, quite shocking, but it did get me on the path. So Ageless and Timeless is really the culmination of a life of, of wonderful uh, habits and disciplines that I learned very early on uh, that were going to make a difference in who I was as a human being and a, a vital human being. So um, I decided I wanted to share a lot of 
that learning with people who uh, may not be as evolved in their knowledge and may need more uh, guidance. So my podcast is focused on helping people to become the best version of themselves through learning from role models, you know, people that are like, like Dr. Benjamin Hardy, as an example, who is our common denominator here. Um, and he was a guest on your podcast and on mine. And, um, but people like that who have overcome adversity, you know, if you remember about Dr. Hardy, he, he grew up in a very dysfunctional home and mm-hmm. father was a drug addict and, um, and look where he is today is one of the foremost organizational psychologists in the world. And um, he inspires people with his knowledge and his teachings. And so it, he's just one example. I've, I've done about 40, I think about 42 podcasts now in one year. I've only, it's only been going since July of last year. So, um, so we've been prolific and, uh, we try, you know, to do at least one every couple weeks and, um, uh, sometimes even more depending on, you know, scheduling. So, so that's just one example of someone and, and we span the whole, uh, spectrum of entrepreneurialism, health and wellness, uh, or longevity. Um, spirituality. So, you know, we take the body, mind, spirit categories, and then we bring people on who have achieved greatness in their disciplines. And uh, of course, it's always fun to interact because I, I, I know you, you feel this too, Jovica, that you learn as much from your guests as you, as your audience does. So, you know, you're mm-hmm. hoping that there's just as much uh, like being like a sponge, you're absorbing so much information, and then you always have the the tape to go back to later and and learn even more. So, there. While that wasn't my purpose, I have the kind of the residual of that as part of my own journey into greater uh, knowledge. And I and I do believe in lifelong learning, and that we never, if we stop learning, we stop growing. No, I love that. And oh man, there's so much to unpack on that front. So let's take it a step back. So you are told you're going to die when you're, what'd you say, 28, 29, you're in your late 20s? Yeah, I was in uh, my late 20s. Right? I had just moved to San Francisco and this uh, strange thing happened and the, you know, how it goes, these doctors, they, they misdiagnose, I'm afraid, all the time because they you know, they saw some symptoms and they made a conclusion and it turned out their conclusion was completely erroneous. But I had to go through a lot of a lot of uh, pain and struggle to get to a point where uh, the truth became the um, the guideline. But, you know, before that, it was a lot of uphill battle. where the weather is like perfect and are you still there yeah well you you faded out for just a moment so maybe repeat what you just said so i'm not disconnected from you what your thought train of thought is all right um so you just you just moved from the northeast where the weather is terrible to san francisco where the weather is perfect you're in your 20s so you're obviously (laughs) invincible uh life is great (laughs) (laughs) i mean right what so you said you said it started. It was a wake up call that sent you into a direction of of spiritual wellness, physical wellness, um, nutrition, exercise, etc. And you talk about you know some of these top habits and disciplines that you developed uh, that you wanted to share on your podcast. I mean, what were some of the top habits and disciplines? You don't have to go into all of them, but maybe the two, top two mm-hmm. or three that that you got out of that experience at such a young age. Well, my, oh, that's a very good question. And, you know, my, my late husband, my, unfortunately, he, he passed away four years ago and very young and, uh, very, um, again, one of those other shocks in life, but, uh, that is a wake up call. But he, he was a, a captain of the Harvard football team and very prominent athlete, um, and very, very strong constitutionally. So this, that's when I say it was a shock, uh, it, it, I think it related to his background in sports that he developed uh, a chronic illness called Parkinson's disease. And unfortunately he didn't make it. 
Uh, but at, at our very young age, because we met when we were 14, when we were in junior high school, and then we went through, you know, high school, college, and, and on to marriage together. Um, he was a great inspiration to the fitness side because, you know, to play football as he did, he had to be in great shape. And so very young in my age, in our ages together, he was uh, teaching me about how to develop a very strong uh, constitution and uh fitness level. So uh, he taught me how to run. Um, I didn't know any of I mean, growing up in Boston, you know, you really, they're not, it's not an athlete. It wasn't at that time. This is many decades ago, but it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't like California, which is, you know, full of people who are all about how they look. Uh, but in New England, it wasn't that way, you know, and grew up a lot, around a lot of ethnic People who love to eat and love to drink, and you know there wasn't. Yeah. But we did have sport. We did have sports in school at that time. So, and I was a cheerleader, so I had that. You know, very early on in my life, I was doing athletic things, but never the kind that he was, because he had to train for arduous uh, football and hockey, and he, you know, he played a number of sports. But anyway. So I remember him taking me out on the on the track and teaching me. That was one of the first big changes was learning at, you know, the probably the age of 19 or 20, how to be uh, fit in, um, in running and jogging and running. So the other one that uh, I think was, you know, obviously there was this woman named Adele Davis at the time. She was like the most prominent nutrition right author and a lot of people got you know believed in her books like it was a religion and so when i was in my late teens early 20s i you know found some of her books and started reading those and and then i you know health food stores weren't really in existence in the way they are today but they all all these little mom and pops that were around they thought were just going to disappear that was just a fad but of course those so-called experts were completely wrong. And today we have, you know, uh, Whole Foods owned by Amazon and we have um, all these, you know, chains like Sprouts and, and so forth. Um, so, but at that time we had to go to little stores. And, but I did start to frequent, uh, quote, the health food stores. And then, you know, growing up in New England, we didn't have you couldn't have your own gardens because the weather, like you said, is not conducive except in the summer. But at a very early age, my mother and father were taking us out to go picking blueberries and, you know, which is probably one of the best antioxidant foods you can find. So little by little, and this is a process, and I tell that to people and whoever wants to listen, I always say, you know, you're not going to make the change uh, into a, a healthier diet. Uh, by snapping your fingers. you First, you have to become educated. Second, you have to have a desire to want to eat healthier foods, and not everybody resonates to healthier foods. Why is it that there's such a huge obesity problem in our country? Is because so many people are, you know, habitually uh, addicted to processed food. So I always tell people, when you go to the grocery store, go to the, the aisles. Don't go down the middle of the store. Try to just stay on the aisles and try to eat. Uh, as If you can go to farmer's markets and get organic uh, produce from your farm to your table, or if you have your own gardens, those are, of course, the best ways. But if you depend on the grocery store because you're not in areas where you have the other opportunity, at least pick the best available, most locally grown produce that you can. And if it's organic, even better, um, rather than, you know, these uh, packaged good stuff, you know, that uh, that have been sitting in a warehouse and maybe in a refrigerated car. And, you know, in other words, they're old by the time they get to you. So the better thing is to get the freshest you can. And then when you go to the other aisle, the meats and, and fish and stuff, would try to go to the ones that have, uh, I mean, buy the ones in the beef. I always say buy grass fed. Don't buy beef that you know has been fed uh, corn and, you know, fattening uh, and hormones and fattening uh, grains that are going to make you fat. <laughs> 
So, is, so and then, is that course, the? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I really wanted to ask no, that question. Is 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 that why? I always heard or read grass-fed beef, but I never really understood why. So is is that it? It's just the yeah. hormone and the and the quality of the meat based on what it's been fed, or like dig dig a little deeper yeah, on that. Exactly. Yeah, so what you, Jovita, what, you know, think about the origins of what you're eating. A lot of people never do this. They, they never think, hey, this chicken is, I mean, this chicken breast came from a real chicken. And that chicken had a life, a lifeline, like mm-hmm. a cow has a lifeline. Well, the, the ones that are not as organically treated are in hen houses or, or in chicken coops or in the cows are kept in, you know, confined areas. They're not allowed to roam and they're fattening them up with hormones so they get to slaughter them sooner. And they're also, uh, you know, their water supply is tainted by pharmaceutical drugs that other people have put into the you know the ecosystem uh so the the so think about it in terms of all of those aspects if you made it into a cycle uh visually in your mind uh, then you see that you don't want to be eating the outcome of some cow that was slaughtered young because it was fed it was fed uh all kinds of hormones to make it fat and those hormones now are coming into your body and then drinking water that is polluted and tainted with pharmaceutical drugs and other uh, bad uh, ingredients that go into the surface water, uh, given what goes on and, and how terribly toxic our water supply is, which is why so many municipalities do the other things they do, which is adding chlorine and fluoride, you know, because they can't keep the water uh, pure the way it's meant to be if it were coming directly to us from the, with no tainting. So you have that aspect, and then you have the what do they feed those cows or chickens? And then you have the fact that they keep them, you know, in coops so they don't they don't get out in the sunshine. Mm. A lot, a lot of the, you know, so. The easiest way to just compute all of that and not get confused by it is to just say, okay, I'm not going to eat as much uh, as I might have done in my childhood because we weren't educated about all of this. I'm going to keep my protein uh, for live, you know, uh, animal products to maybe two or three times a week. And and when I do, uh, I'm not talking about fish yet because I haven't gotten to fish, but if I'm eating chicken, uh, poultry, or beef, uh, you know, three or four times a week, I will make sure that the beef is the best quality I can get. It's going to be more expensive, but you're not eating it as much. And you mm. can reduce your portion, you can reduce the portion. So you're now eating this, you know, uh, instead of a 12 to 16 ounce steak, you know, maybe you're down to four ounces, which is really more in in line with what it should be for just pure digest- digestive reasons. So anyway, so then if it's grass-fed, what does that mean? You asked that question. It means that the cow was was left to roam a pasture, and its main diet is grass, mm. and not any other these uh, horn, uh, corn and other grains that are actually quite fattening and then transfer into your body as uh, fattening uh, ingredients. So. Um, and the corn is very cheap, and it's also very effective to make the cow fatter faster. So that's that's what grass-fed means. And then, and the fact that the cow was less allowed to roam the pasture means it's going to be healthier. Uh, so, and then with poultry, you know that the chickens, when they say free-range, organic, it means that they have to be in California. They have to be certified by a very strict process to be called organic. Same with vegetables. And fruit. So uh, I don't know how it is where you are, but you know, nationally, I would say California is one of the strictest states of all. So when they say organic, that is a very good sign that you're not going to get all the pesticides and um, residuals that you might get if it's not organic. However, let me make a caveat on that one: that if you're next to a, if you're an organic farmer and you're next to a farm that's not certified. Unfortunately, the wind does blow, and that farmer right next door is using pesticides. Well, guess what? No matter how hard you try, 
and what you put in your soil for fertilizer for those um, prod the produce, you're going to end up with with some pesticide residue. So I, you know, tell anybody that wants to listen, no matter whether it says organic or not, no matter whether they say pre-washed or not, always rinse the fruit and vegetables with good fresh water if you can. And, you know, and then, you know, there are these uh, Trader Joe's, I know, has a spray, Whole Foods has a spray. It's basically, it's grapefruit seed uh, oil that you just spray on and that takes off some of the pesticide residue. So I don't want to get too far afield of your question, but uh, there's so much to know with nutrition, even before you put a, a, a mouthful, <laughs> put it up to your mouth. Um, the other thing with fish, let's go to fish for a moment. So really the most important thing with fish, because it is one of the best foods that you can eat as far as omega-3s, which uh, you, know, you, you know fish oils are very important for anti-inflammatories. But not all fish oils are created equal, and there's a lot of fish oil that's tainted when you're buying it in the store as just a capsule. Uh, it has a lot of mercury, and that, now you're doing something that's counterproductive. Uh, so it's really important when you're eating the, uh, the fish that you buy fish that's wild caught. Because when it's farmed, they're feeding it the same kind of issue you have with the cows and the poultry. Mm. They're feeding it kind of stuff, you know, stuff that isn't so great um, for, you know, if you wanted to know. I mean, my husband one time told me he could never eat a hot dog again because during the summertime when he was uh, getting, you know, a summer job, he worked at one of the factories in New England in Boston called NEPCO. And he saw what happened. He could never eat a hot dog ever again. And we, you know, we grew up on hot dogs. We had a very famous hot dog uh, uh, store in our our hometown that was, you know, known throughout all of New England. People came from all over. But then he just could never do it again because he saw what the what they were feeding <laughs> that made the hot dogs what they that they were. So, and that, you know, they were made from pork. So he saw the horrible treatment of of the pigs. So anyway, um, so with fish, the best fish you can buy is wild caught salmon. Uh, king salmon is the best version of salmon, although there's coho and, you know, other forms that you'll see when you go to the store or when you, if you know anyone who goes fishing, the bad ones are the pelagics. <clears throat> so a pelagic is a large fish that, that, you know, preys on smaller fish and, and, and that's their main diet, but the pelagic oftentimes is mercury full and very, very unhealthy. So that would be like swordfish, is the, uh, ahi tuna, which of course having lived in Hawaii, that was one of my favorites. Uh, but if it's caught in very cold waters and if so, that's wild caught, uh, it is actually, uh, more likely to be okay. Um, but, you know, when I go to Costco, for example, I see the shellfish, the shrimp, it's all farm-raised. So mm. I don't buy that. But when I go to when I go to Trader Joe's, there's an Alaskan wild-caught shrimp that they sell and that I will buy because I'm assuming, you know, it's very cold waters. And um, so, so, you know, so that, so just, just be aware that shellfish can be very poor, you know, be tainted, scallops and shrimp and, you know, mussels and all that, but not if they're, if, if they are wild caught. And then the other fish, the best one to get is salmon. So let me, let me ask you this, because I'm, I'm curious, and I know you're not a, you're not a doctor, um, but I am curious on your opinion on this. So, Cancer diseases, inflammatory diseases, et cetera, basically, I mean, diabetes have all skyrocketed in the last 50, 60 years in the United States and in the Western world Correct. in general. Do Correct. you think Do you think that's because more of that is happening in society or we're at a point where we actually recognize it medically? Because, I mean, 100 years mm -hmm. ago, if my great-great-grandfather died at age 63, you know, who knows what he died from? or or whatever it may have been you know there's there there may not have been the process to actually figure out an appropriate autopsy whereas now people are living longer which causes you know it even gives you the opportunity to discover that you have cancer or whatever it may be so any thoughts on that mm -hmm. 
Yes, in fact, it's a it's a great hypocrisy that people are living longer, but they're not living better. There's yeah. more illness, and so your point is a very a very important one. Uh, how do we end up living longer in this in our generation uh, today, and yet we're not living healthier because there's more chronic illness, like you just described. So, well, you can look at pharmaceutical drugs as one reason that people are living longer because even though drugs, you know, we both know that pharmaceutical drugs have terrible side effects, they may cure the problem, but they cause other symptoms. But they are actually, they're they're oftentimes curing symptoms, but causing other problems. (laughs) So they're not, they're not, so so yes, they help to save lives. And and believe me, I, I do believe, I do think that pharmaceutical drugs have a role to play in a crisis. However, there are many people who take drugs routinely, like let's take statin drugs or let's take uh, antidepressants, which during this COVID crisis have skyrocketed. And let's take um, uh, any of those diseases you mentioned have uh you know, have side effects by the drugs that are prescribed. So, however, if you've had a heart attack, you know, and they're prescribing a a drug that's going to help with your uh, getting rid of arterial plaque so you don't have a relapse or, you know, whatever it is, for those moments in time called a crisis, then, yes, it's very important. But to take them routinely, oh, and I didn't even mention antibiotics, which has become like candy, they're prescribed yeah. like candy. And, and, and you know that, you know, if you take an antibiotic, it's going to kill all the probiotics along with the bad pathogens in your GI tract. So basically, it's like setting a, a, off a nuclear bomb in your gastrointestinal tract. So why would you ever want to do that to yourself unless you absolutely have to? So I'll tell yeah, it's, you a funny it's basically story. A, a nuclear bomb going off in your in your intestines. Yeah, that, that's what I just said. So so the thing is, you know, you, there are many times when you really do need antibiotics. You know, they are they do hold a role. They have a role to play. But unfortunately, there's been a such an abuse of u- their use that there's been a, a, an intolerance to many of the strains. And so doctors will prescribe them, but they're actually not doing the good. They're not doing the job they're supposed to because your body has been so used to them, you know, that you build up an, uh, an intolerance to their effectiveness, their efficacy. So there's that issue going on. And then there's the other where, you know, you're wiping out all your good flora and the doctors are not, which they should do routinely, not prescribing that you'd be taking an, uh, a probiotic and a prebiotic and, you know, the other good strains to keep building back what you just obliterated by, you know, taking these uh, uh, antibiotics. So, so the, and then the other one, of course, is your, um, you know, is eating yogurt if you're taking an antibiotic. It helps, but, you know, there's another problem with yogurt. Many people don't realize that many yogurts are just filled with sugar. And mm, sugar yep. feeds on, feeds on. So you've got this terrible vicious cycle going on. You know, people feed on the, the antibiotic, I mean, on the, um, on the sugar, and that creates even more, uh, inflammation and, and, and germs and problems in the GI tract. So you don't want sugar. That's a huge pathogen. As is gluten, and you know, people are eating a lot of pasta and bread and crackers and cookies and, so you combine sugar and gluten and, and you add an antibiotic because you're having some issue. Like, you know, you go and get, you have a cold and people say, just prescribe me an antibiotic. You know, it's like they just want immediate uh, uh, cures, and, but they're not thinking about the cause and effect. I don't know if that yeah, makes I mean, sense, but. No, no, that makes total sense. And it's, I mean, and, and also, I mean, we can go, get into basically the propaganda that was shoved down our throats the last 30, 40 years when it comes to health. I mean, I'm a, I'm a 90s kid. And I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago. The fact that we were convinced that Frosted Flakes were a healthy breakfast is the greatest advertising campaign of all time. 
Yeah, well, that can go for can go for cigarettes before you were even born, and yeah. how that ended up becoming lawsuits, huge lawsuits, and then, and then the finally the government put the disclaimer on there, and then when you were born, they weren't television wasn't uh, putting the disclaimers on pharmaceutical drugs that they have to put on today, and in, you know that's a law that was finally passed and legislation i mean and however you know people didn't know and and you're right about uh breakfast cereals they're full of sugar and yet you know these companies they're so culpable i mean these large corporations that do not educate people to the health uh issues that are associated because they're just trying to sell products and, you know, you look at Monsanto, look at the lawsuits that Monsanto has had to, the settlements they've had to pay for glyphosate and the Roundup and the uh, health problems that that has created. So there's been more, a little more accountability as we've gotten a little bit more evolved, but it is a very slow process. And, you know, when I listen to these TV ads on uh, pharmaceutical drugs and they, they list all the side effects, I think, how could anyone ever want to take any of those drugs if it's going to cause you more problems than the original reason that you're taking the drug? You, yeah, you know I mean, what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you mean. And it's, I mean, it's just such a hard balancing act because, quite frankly, to eat healthy is really expensive. So in, in, when you look at your average person or even lower class, you know, maybe more poverty-stricken people, like the reason – in in poor areas, you have more health problems. Is one lack of health care, but two bad diet. Um, okay. Yeah, whereas... totally, but you know, you know what? Information is power, Jovica. Because uh, if you think about it, you buy a head of really good lettuce. That's a lot less expensive than buying some uh, some candy bars and sh- and sugar coated cereals and all that. And you know, it may not appeal to people. That's what I think is at the heart of the issue you just said, is that most people prefer that, and they're not educated to understand the difference. And so, and it's also fast food. Fast food is one of the greatest culprits of our time. And you know, in our society, we want everything. We want immediate gratification. And so another, and when you go into the store, you don't want to have to think about, oh, I don't want to make this from scratch. I just rather buy it already made. Well, go look at the ingredients of some of the items that you're buying, and you're going to be shocked at all the fillers and the preservatives, and a lot of those are causing more problems because they inspire. You know, we you don't want to admit this if you're one of those companies, but they do in, inspire people to buy to get addicted. To even mm-hmm. more unhealthy. So I, I, I don't know. I, I I think that you know the old story of the kiss theory. Keep it simple, stupid. Buy simple, and that's why I say go to the aisles. I mean the uh, circumference. These you know out the outside aisles of the store, and and not the interior aisles for most of your products. Now there are some exceptions. I mean I think about when I go to, let's just say Trader Joe's. So I always go right away to the produce, and 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 in California because we have farmers markets, I usually, if I can get there, I try to buy organic local farmers. But like I said earlier, but can't always get there, and sometimes it's just you know easier. But when I am in Trader Joe's or in uh, Whole Foods, I always try to buy the most local uh, products that they offer. So there's that first. So the you know, and then I, I I read so much about which vegetables, which fruit, and just today I was reading an article. I think it was from no, it was from a company called Inside Tracker, which does DNA testing, and they're actually going to be a guest on my podcast. So they send me a lot of stuff uh, to read about. And so anyway, the today's article was the healthiest foods for anti-aging. Well, the first one they mentioned was broccoli sprouts. I mean, how many people eat broccoli sprouts? They don't even offer it in most stores. They do at Whole Foods. But, you know, so there's one that would be kind of an uncommon choice. And then the next one was, well, all the cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, 
cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. Uh, and the ones you don't want are the uh, ones like um, what they, the eggplants, tomatoes. Uh, they, they call them nightshades. What, where that name came from, maybe because they grow at night, I don't know. But they're very acidic, and they have a big component of a thing called, uh, an ingredient called lectin, which tends to make uh, you unhealthier. So anyway, without going too far and too complex, the point is that the best choices, the simplest way to do it is just look for the cruciferous vegetables and just buy those for, you know, at least, at least that is a good start. And lettuce is, you know, uh, kale and, and uh, spinach is another big one they mentioned because it has some ingredients that are anti-aging that are very important. So uh, but anyway, so if you just get a, a short list and then it makes it simple and you don't get bored with your choices, and then every once in a while you throw in something that you haven't done, like uh, asparagus or, you know, some other and that, or a vegetable that's growing in season. And then in the fruit, you know, like I said earlier, blueberries are the probably the best choice for antioxidants that you can buy or or all berries are good. Uh, but strawberries, unfortunately, are one of the biggest culprits for um, holding pesticides. And the reason is because it's so porous, the strawberry itself. And even if it's organic, you still need to wash it really carefully for the reason I said earlier about the pesticides can still get on an organic uh, fruit or vegetable. But um, but anyway, so they mentioned strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, uh, pomegranate was another one. And I actually, before I got on this call with you, I was checking on Amazon to see if I could get uh, organic pomegranate juice without sugar. Because the sugar, you never, ever want to buy a juice. Most juices are full of sugar. So you never, ever want to buy one if it has sugar. And pomegranates, you can, Trader Joe's has it, Costco has, they have the actual seeds. And you can put mm. those on top of your salad um, or just as a fruit in the morning. You can add it to a smoothie. Um, yeah, so so there's a, another really good choice. And pomegranates, uh, I don't know if you know about nitric oxide, but nitric, nitric oxide is really big amongst men because it's supposed to bring circulation or it does bring circulation to all the extremities, and you know what I'm talking about. Mm. So... <laughs> So men love it, but you know what? It's good for everybody because it helps with the heart and getting uh, uh, eliminating arterial plaque and with diabetes. And I mean, it just has so many uh, advantages, but most people don't even know it, what it is. So look up nitric oxide. It's called NO, some, you know, for short. And you will see that pomegranate and beet, and beet powder Another one, Beet, beets are another very good vegetable, but they're also full of sugar, but it's a natural sugar. But, you know, it, you want to eat beet powder in moderation, but they do mention that as another a nitric oxide booster. Man, that is, yeah, it's so interesting. So one of the things that I've I know, we're, going, we're really getting, you know what we're doing, Jovica? We're going, uh, we're scuba diving. We're going very deep into a subject that, you know, a lot of people want to keep at the snorkeling level. They want to be on the surface. They don't want to know too much because it confuses them. And, you know, believe me, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a doctor, as you said. But for me, it's a passion to understand. I, like I said, knowledge is power. I, uh, You know, to understand what you're putting into your body, your food is your medicine. And the more people take responsibility for their own well-being, the happier we're going to be. We won't need all these these terrible drugs because we'll be healthier and we'll be uh, we'll be mentally uh, stronger. Because I think a lot of addictive behavior is biochemical. I also think that it can be uh, biochemistry can be altered with the things that we've been, the kinds of habits that we've just been talking about and buying really good food. And, oh, and we haven't even touched on supplements, you know, because remember our, our soils are depleted from what our grandparents and great-grandparents had uh, as the way things were grown. So when you buy even at the farmer's market, 
even organic and, and pesticide free, you're still going to have much less uh, power in the plant and the, and the fruit than previous generations had because the soils have been depleted. So why do you take a supplement? Because your body isn't getting as much of the nutrition from food as it used to. And there's another thing that happens as you get older, the body stops making some of these very important nutrients. And so it is good to supplement, but not overdo it, but to know which ones. I always tell people, start with a good multivitamin that's that's food-based. Don't buy the chemical version. Buy like a new chapter or uh, I can't remember. There's like several, there's like three or four brands that are are food based so they're they're made they're, those multivitamins that you look, look at the list of what's in it it's all coming from the very fruits and vegetables that you and I have just been talking about so i would say that's a starting point for anybody that's trying to add a supplement just start with that and then on top of that to stack because you're not going to get in a multivitamin some of the very very important anti um microbial and uh, antiviral uh, preventative kinds of things, such as uh, the fish oils that we mentioned earlier, uh, which helps with inflammation. The uh, vitamin D3, which, you know, the COVID crisis has brought people to become very much more aware of their immune system. And the stronger the immune system, the you know, the easier it is to fight off any invaders. And that includes the COVID-19 uh, virus. So, you know, so so vitamin D3 is is one of the most important immune boosters, and that comes from sunshine. So, if people don't live in sunny climates all year long, they have to supplement with D3. And uh, and then there's so many others along with D3, which also helps to build bones. And strengthen your 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 um, your bones. It comes another supplement called K2. Well, the two of them are often combined, so they help with the immune system uh, and also strengthening your bones. So I'm just giving you a couple of examples, so people are not overwhelmed. I don't want your listeners to feel like this is like, you know, a chance to sell vitamins. It isn't because we have, you and I have no interest in doing that, but we're trying to help people to understand if you want to be simple and selective, make sure that you have an anti-inflammatory because most people as they get older have been weekend warriors or they develop some kind of arthritis or, you know, their muscles are atrophying. You know, so they need to um, have anti-inflammatories because almost all of us have inflammation. And then the other you, one is the immune. Let me, let me ask you this. So food obviously has the physical impact, but also the mental impact. And, and one of the things that I've, I've always, when I get the opportunity, I want to talk about mental health within yeah. Um, society yeah. and the things that we're seeing. What are you know? Uh, what are some of the the tangible aspects? Obviously, everything we talked about so far from get clean, good food, take care of your body that way because that'll help your mental side as well. But yeah. w- what are some of those other disciplines and habits that you learned about from a uh, tangible physical aspect for your mental health? Is it meditating? Is it journaling? Is it you know just slowing down? I mm-hmm. mean, are there any things that that you've uh, built a passion for and talked and, and learned about a lot about on that front? Yeah, I think that's a very good, good question and very important because today mental health has become one of the biggest problems in our society and COVID-19 certainly did not help that because people were sitting at home and they're doing things that they weren't used to uh, by remotely learning, remotely working, uh, by being around family members that they you know, didn't get along with and had to be there every day, you know, on and on and on. So the mental health, as I mentioned earlier, has uh, really skyrocketed mental health problems. Um, So how do you, you know, let's, let's, let's take post COVID-19 crisis and think about just in a more normal environment. What is it that people can do to make themselves uh, stronger mentally and the first thing, to, for me anyway, is believing in myself. 
and and loving myself because if you love yourself it's a lot easier to love others and that means you're building a strong self-image it means you're building um self-confidence well you don't just get that by again by snapping your fingers you have to create that the opportunities that are going to build on that success model and how do you do that well you take on uh well first it's interacting with other people and how do you do that? And what are your beliefs about uh, the the coexistence uh, with people in your family, your friends, your your coworkers, and so forth? So a lot of this is developing a philosophy of living. And you know, I have read so many books on you know, and listened to so many podcasts and listened to uh, blogs and so forth, like people like Tony Robbins and Wayne Dyer and um, uh, John Gray, you know, people who are thought leaders, Benjamin Hardy, you know, that are making a difference in how we view ourselves because it really does come down to our self-awareness and how we feel about ourselves. So you mentioned meditating, you you know, that is one way journaling, you know, Ben, ben is a big believer in, in both of those. Um, for, for me, I, I haven't ever done those two modalities, but I have done the reading part and the curiosity about leadership because I'm a, a, an executive and I want to be the best leader and I want to build the best team. So from the very early age of my responsibility as a manager, I began reading all of the books that touch on spirituality because I wanted to create a value-driven enterprise. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Like when you have a when you have a value system behind what you're doing, it's easier to make decisions and it's easier to lead and it's easier to you know get people to buy into a system as well. Yeah, because you know leaders, you can ask the question: Is a leader born or made? And I, I ask that all the time to people that I, even on my podcast, you know, I, I had uh, Chip Conley on. You know, Chip Conley is a big thought leader, and he was one of the founders of Airbnb. He he actually is the mentor to Brian Chesney and um the CEO of Airbnb. But you know, I I that was a subject of our one of the subjects of our podcast is, you know, are leaders born or made? Well, you know, you get different answers depending on who you're asking. But um that is something that has always been on my radar is, you know, did I just suddenly by snapping my fingers become a good leader? No. I had to I had some qualities innately and other people have those lucky blessed qualities like for example validating other people and wanting to uh make someone else feel really important that that is uh, in fact there was another man I mentioned named uh John Sir John Shin he's been knighted by the um Spanish government, the king and queen, uh, since he was on my podcast. But John Shin is a leads a, a billion, I think it's a billion dollar company now. Uh, but he started with nothing. And he told the story about how he sends out snail mail, you know, to some, to his employees. Nobody does that anymore, but he sends a card and somebody, you know, who's working at a lower level goes to their mailbox and here they've got a letter from their CEO telling them how how wonderful they are and how, you know, maybe it's a wishing them a happy birthday or maybe there's no event. It's just unprovoked, but it's a very important tool for building uh, leader, building employee morale. So that was always big on my radar is how do I do random acts of kindness? How do I make somebody, val you know, feel so important that they're part of our team? by giving them the reinforcement and the kudos that they deserve. If they've done a good job, let them know that. You know, if you're trying to inspire them, be a good role model and never say, I, you know, never, never ask them to do something you wouldn't do. That was another one of my, you know, teachings. But anyway, but spirituality, another area, I think, for helping, you know, there's been many, many books written about the spiritual, um, side of the enterprise of, of, a, of a company 
and um you know so so reading books like that like like a Marianne Williamson as an example or Eric Fromm, The Art of Loving, or um, or Victor Frank- Frankl, who was one of my favorite authors. You mm, know, because love he Victor struggled. Frankl. Yeah, you know, you know, because of what happened to him and how he was able to overcome adversity um, through, you know, being a Holocaust victim and having to deal with the the, the punishments, but yet being strong enough to survive and showing that. You know, well, you you know what you know what he writes about, and how important yeah. it is to create mental strength as well as physical. So yeah, so those are I, I absolutely believe that body, mind, and spirit is the triumvirate of uh, a healthy life existence, and you have to have all three in order to make the. It's sort of a gestalt. A gestalt. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, we could talk about literally. We could talk about this for hours on on every single topic on that front. Um, I, yeah, I, I think one of the key things you talked about even earlier, like even the COVID changing every aspect of our interaction with each other and and ourselves, and what you said about loving yourself and having a philosophy for both your business and your life. I mean, I think that's just so 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 crucial um, because. You know, at the end of the day, we do choose how we interact with the world, and we can come we can come at that interaction from a positive standpoint, or from a negative standpoint, or from a self-loathing standpoint, or from a self-love standpoint, and and everything else that we do and everything else happening in our life is going to be impacted by what um, orientation we choose to approach life from. You know, I was telling someone yesterday um, about that quote from uh, Gandhi where he says, uh, happiness is thinking, saying, and doing the same thing in synchronicity. I'm I'm not quoting him exactly, but it is basically that you are in harmony with what you think, what you say, and what you do, because we both know that your thoughts create your reality. So if you think poorly of yourself and you have lots of experiences of, of self-loathing, like you just said, because you haven't had a functional family, you haven't had a good support system, you've had a lot of uh, quote-unquote failures or disappointments, you haven't uh, achieved the success you want financially. There's so many reasons why life can be a landmine and disappointing to uh, your your to- your totality, and so you can then become a person that is the sum total of your experiences, which is also the sum total of your thoughts. So if you say, okay, I have a choice, I can choose good or I can choose evil, or I can choose to love myself or I can choose to hate myself or be less enamored with who I am. Um, and I can be jealous of other people's success or I can learn from other people's success and grow from that. So, you know, the whole spectrum is there, but the key is the outcome. And the outcome is what Gandhi said. You know, once you start thinking, uh, thinking, uh, what did I say? Um, thinking, doing, and, and what was the third one I forgot? Thinking? Oh, yeah, thinking, acting, and and doing the it, it, synchronicity in synchronicity, you know. Uh, the, but the thinking is where it all starts. So we, you're, you're absolutely right. We have to believe in ourselves in order to start doing or acting in a way that's reflecting that. And by the way, who we relate to, you know, you you say we are what we eat. Well, we are who we relate to, who we who we call our friends, because our friends influence who we are as a as a value system in our value system. So it's important to pick your friends wisely too, and to be surrounding yourself with people who empower you, and rather than uh, the other way. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if we could beat that horse enough. You've got to survive. You got to surround yourself with people who are who. Um, bring a positive energy into your life. Otherwise, you're just going to be miserable all the time because miserable people just suck 
so much. I mean, they suck the energy out of everything. And the worst part is a lot of times when you, if you're one of those people and then you start changing yourself and start looking in a different direction, those miserable people will try to keep you from changing in a positive direction. That's right. And so think, say, and do that. Maybe just put those three think, say, do. Um, so, and yes, and, and by thinking, saying, and doing, you are basically reflecting the sum total of who you are at that moment in time based on your life experiences, the people you've surrounded yourself with, the education that you've had and how it has impacted you. The, the, um, the, like we said, the support system that you have. Uh, and you know, we read about these people who start out disadvantaged. And have these miraculously, uh, uh, what, what is that guy's name? Um, that great life coach who, who was, uh, he's, he's, he's a, an African American, uh, is it Will Brown or something like that? But I've watched him on, you know, a number of podcasts and he talks about how poor he was and how disadvantaged he was. And he just pulled himself up by the bootstraps, basically, and reinvented himself by believing in himself, but he did have a life-changing experience with a, a teacher that, you know, helped him to see a different way of living. So, yes, I'm not saying you have to depend on that because sometimes you just have to do it yourself. By, but but, but starts with, it starts with believing, you know, they say if uh, what you believe you will achieve. So if you start mm-hmm. making assertions or uh having a mantra like i believe i am you know those kinds of daily uh assertions then you know the whole thing about the self-fulfilling prophecy the more you do something they say you can change a habit in 30 days well if you daily journal or you daily do your um meditation you will begin to behave in the way that your mind is programming by what you're telling it to do because it is a conscious and a subconscious uh, capability. So you start with the conscious statement, but the more you say it, the more it's getting into your subconscious, the more you start believing, guess what? Your behavior starts to change. And we both know that, again, we refer to Benjamin Hardy, but he says that your behavior affects your personality. It's not the other way around. You, your personality doesn't change your behavior. Your behavior changes your personality. I, I may be quoting him incorrectly, but that's, you know, the essence of his new book, Personality Isn't Permanent. You know, so, that we are able to change. So let me ask you this. You know, we're running up on time over here, and like I said, we talk about this for hours, but one one question, and I'm really curious after the culmination of all the things we've talked about, the one question I always ask people at the end of the podcast is, if you could go back to 18-year-old Michelle and tell her yeah. one thing, one piece of advice, knowing all that you know and knowing all that you know about yourself today, what's that one piece of advice you would give 18-year-old Michelle? Well, I have two. I'm sorry to have to take two. <laughs> <Answer> <laughs> That's fine. Double. The first one is believe in yourself, and the second one is never give up. Mm. Yeah, well, and that makes and total could, sense considering I, your life story. I could tell you, yeah, I could tell you so many stories that you know. Why do I say that? Why are those my that? Why is that at the core of my belief? And and of course, there are many others, but we've touched on them today. Is you know, if you don't take responsibility for your well-being, no one else is going to do it for you. So you have to be the one to be the producer of your own play, and you're the lead protagonist as well. So guess what? You have the opportunity to write the script and to act in the play and be the star and get the uh, the Academy Award for your performance. So it's all up to you in the end, but that's part of you know, taking responsibility for your well-being. But that's, those two things, those two statements are at the core of how I have managed through adversity and challenges and, and of course, loss. You know, if you lose somebody you've been best friends with since you were 14, mm. uh, that's, a, that's a big adjustment. And, they, they, you know, we talk about how do people deal with overcoming whatever their challenges are. And those two 
belief systems can help. You know, if you believe in yourself and you have or self-love, let's call that, and then you never give up because you, you, you are going to face disappointments no matter who you are in life. And uh, if you don't think some of the biggest success stories started with failures, look, look at the literature. So that, yeah. that's kind of it. Oh, I love that. That is awesome. Um, well, l- let me let me ask you this: How can people learn more about you? How can they find you? What's your website? What's your podcast, et cetera? Give the give the shameless plug to everybody listening. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, my you know my name is spelled with one L. A lot of people misspell it with two, of course. So they they try to Google me. A lot of times they don't see me, but, um, but, you know, I am on LinkedIn and Facebook, but it is M-I-C-H-E-L-E. And then my last name is spelled uh, H-U-G-H-E-S, the silent G-H. And um, my podcast is called Ageless and Timeless. And we, I do have a YouTube channel. So anyone that goes on YouTube and types in Ageless and Timeless, the um, the, the n- different podcasts will come up. And I also have a website, agelessandtimeless.com, and all my podcasts are on that website as well. Um, I have a, a mobile number if anyone wants to call me. I have no problem with that. I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm private, but I'm not that private that I wouldn't give somebody a, a mobile number to reach out to me. So my number, it's an 808, which is a Hawaii number because I worked so many years uh, developing real estate in Hawaii, but I kept that number. Everybody thinks I'm sitting on a beach eating bonbons, you know? <laughs> but yeah. no, I'm here in California, but no, it's 808-639-0904. So, and I've had, a, you know, if you Google me, I mean, there's so many you know, different aspects of my life because I've reinvented myself. But the big one that comes up on Google, of course, is is uh, Ageless and Timeless because that's current. And then uh, the real estate development experience that um, that I've had. So you know, I think that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, and, and I mean, your real estate career is a whole – I mean, we could end up having an entirely different podcast just talking about the crazy, like, real estate life time you've had and all the wonderful things you've built and developed and, and the career you built there because that was super interesting as well. You know, you're right because I, I I was fortunate enough to be developing real estate in places where a lot of, of very famous people wanted to come. And I was also fortunate to be doing luxury real estate with a hospitality division where we rented uh, many of these beautiful homes to uh, VIPs and celebrities. And, and I learned so much about hospitality by having to cater to or by catering to people who were already very accomplished in their lives, CEOs and big entrepreneurs and, and uh, celebrities. And, you know, so, so I could write a book, honestly, about so many of the people who, who's, who I have had crossed my path, not because I'm not, it's, it's me, but because of what I was creating in the way of my real estate uh, uh, inventory if that makes sense to you. So I had all my homes in Hawaii were uh, either on the ocean or views of the ocean, and they were all really private. Many of them, I had two little honeymoon cottages that are still on the internet because occasionally people still see my website, which is, uh, I, I actually should have told you that one too, because it is kind of interesting. It has to be viewed on a on a laptop or a desktop because it's, it, believe it or not, it's in flash, and they don't allow mm. that on a PDA. But anyway, it's um, it's Secret Beach Hideaway. Uh, I'm sorry, thesecretbeachhideaway.com. I think it is. I'm, I'm not even sure. But but anyway, if anyone Google Secret Beach, it should come up with my, my name. And these two little honeymoon cottages were like the the, the cornerstone of my properties there. And, and even though I had these big glamorous homes in Aspen, particularly and, and Hawaii, they still, these little cottages were what attracted so many people because it was nothing like it. And they were fully furnished and ready to go for 
primarily honeymooners or anniversaries or special events. So, so they're still there. The the Secret Beach Hideaway. I don't own awesome. them anymore, but but I, but people still come to me because I was the owner for 25 years, and I built yeah. and I built them both. So anyway, that's awesome. Well. Everybody, go check out Michelle's uh, work. Go check out her old school Flash website uh, that you have to look at on a on a computer. I've looked at it; and it's pretty cool. Um, again, for everybody listening, uh, you can always reach out to us at info at mmcip.co. You know, if you've got questions, people you want us to interview, constructive criticism, etc. Um, and uh, outside of that, we'll talk to you guys soon.